Hello, universe. This is Gold Podcast. I'm Les. And this is Doug. And, and we, we are genuinely out actively lifting society. Hey, welcome back to Gold's Podcast. This is Dub. And Les. And we have a special guest with us today, all the way from across the land by way of South Carolina. She is doing so much. We have Queen Sunny Honey from CRS Radio, who also does teaching across the land, all the way in Kuwait. Please welcome with us, Miss Sunita Shannon. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful, as they say in the Middle East. Alhamdulillah. How are you, Deb and Les? Hey, we are Fabulous. fantastic. And that is beautiful. I love how you say that. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh you we kind of connected on Facebook and we got into finding more out about your story. And we think you have had just a beautiful impact across the globe here in the United States, uh, as well as what you're doing overseas. So we'd love for you to just start us off by t- telling us a little bit of your background and history and how you got into all the activism and uh, just activities that you do to help on a global scale. Thank you. Well, my name is Sunita and I am from South Carolina, just a Southern girl from a small town, and I decided to go off to college to graduate school to Alaska one day, and that started my adventure, and that was the three years of heaven on earth, (laughs) and um, just opened me up to all the possibilities outside of what I was used to, and shortly thereafter, I began teaching on an Indian reservation in a place called Sholo, Arizona, and um, that really it was a monumental point in my life because although I was living in America, I was still not privy to so many cultural diversity just within the Native American community. Mm. And they had never even seen a person of color outside of television. So wow. that was an experience. And then um, I started working for universities, Clemson University, shout outs in Benedict College. And that path took me to one day I'm sitting in my office. One of my students came in while I was working at Fayetteville State University. She told me about this amazing experience of working overseas. And at the time, you know, it's just how what they call manifestations in life. It was something I had always wanted since I was a little girl. I never knew how. Having no resources, you know, you always hear the who's who is who you know who opens the door. But it was my student that opened the door for me. And um, it's been five years of bliss every since. All of the students that I had in America, they meant a lot to me. And to actually have them come over to the Middle East and begin to be my colleagues, this has been a remarkable experience to live tax-free no utilities, drivers, maids, and to bring in the community of expats, people from back home. I am truly, truly grateful. But I want to say one more thing. It wasn't always an easy journey. Mm. I lost my parents. They had given birth to me when they were 50 years old. So, of course, I was prepared for it, but no one really is. And so as a way of grieving, I began to say, Dubai, bye, boo, as I would leave people as my own coping mechanism to never say goodbye to people anymore. And as I kept saying this mantra every time I left friends and loved ones 
And then, you know, voila, here I am, you know, just right outside of Dubai and everyone back home that knows me knows that this is a sign of true manifestation. When it sounds crazy to the rest of the world, it can really happen for you. That's my story. That's beautiful. Yeah, we had another gentleman on. We spoke specifically on uh, manifestation. So the fact that you have another story, it's it's it adds to that detail. So I'm happy that you were able to share that you were able to manifest things into your life like that. So that's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, going going back, how was it for you going from uh, the Carolinas and having the warm weather there to go and study in Alaska, <laughs> of all places? Well, it was not what I thought it would be. <laughs> the ice is so dry there. So typically, if someone comes inside your home, your floor isn't wet. It was, um, as far as weather is concerned, getting acclimated with the months of darkness. And then the months with all this sunlight, it troubled me more because it's like, man, the neighbors are mowing the lawn at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) The sun never (laughs) set. Right. Or to hear the news broadcaster say, you know, it's one degrees (sighs) today. (laughs) So that was truly a big, big jump in weather as well as culture. Because one thing about American history, when they purchased Alaska, it was only men. Hmm. So all these, you know, think of the Oregon Trail days and all the men up there. And so one day they woke up and they went on strike. They were like, all this oil, diamonds, resources, send us women. Ah. So in response, the American government begin to send women who occupy brothels and let them go and let's just say do some internships in Alaska. And to this current day, there's a festival every year in a place where I live called Fairbanks, Alaska, that represents the celebration of the brothels, the women that came. (laughs) (laughs) That is interesting. So what was that like? Was that, uh, when you say that, I, I don't, there's so many things that run through my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's turned into more of a community event in present day. Hmm. So if you're working on your job and you have your manager, you're like, hey, let's let's put five on it. And we put our monies together. And then the people in the community, they'll have all the women come like in the old Western wear. And they will come and take your manager and lock them up for the day of the festival. And, you know, the monies go back to the community. But so if you don't know the real story behind everything, it just feels like a way of, you know, donating and giving back. But shout out to the women for the very first job on the planet was prostitution. Yes. right. right. Yes, it was. That's right. I wanted to ask, I was looking at some stuff and I saw you have, is it 12 books that you've written? (laughs) Can you tell us about how did you get into, like, how did that come about? And how 12. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's inspiration of students. I'm always trying to tell them to, you know, be the greatest in You know, you grow up holding a lot of things in, saying, when I get it all together, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Well, last summer, I returned to America for the first time in two years, well, second time in two years, and that was the moment I had everything written with me, and I said, let's just put it into a book. 
And when December came this year, that was the first book. And since December, COVID came and 11 books came out of that abundance of old luggage holding on to, knowing that you don't want to die with something significant inside of you because it's not really just meant for you, but for everyone else. And I just took this time for COVID to do radio, return back to radio and also write as my own coping mechanism for mental health. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's wonderful. Yes. We I have know. to make sure we take care of our mental health. So Yeah, I wish I um threw out twelve books for self care. <laughs> <laughs> so Well my first oh, excuse me, my first book was all about a woman's secret. This little thing that we keep plucking all the time called facial hair. Well, I grew up with this ugly, scary thing that no one ever wanted to talk about. And I wrote a book about it. But my journey's different. It's comical. It's like, you know, what the pluck is going on? <laughs> and it's the journey of how I travel around the world and I see women from very different cultures all having the very same things. Sometimes you go to a place where they have the unibrow and she is so gorgeous. You know, she's Kim Kardashian with a unibrow. (laughs) One day I was in this country called Qatar. Mm. Had a homegirl with me. We get to the museum and the lady at the receptionist desk looks at my, um, my travel companion says, Ooh, nice mustache. Oh, girl was offended. And I sat there knowing like, oh, my God, <laughs> like this is so non-American. People can be so overt. Mm. So little did we know we get to the second floor of the Qatar Museum and there's an entire floor dedicated to women with facial hair. Wow. In that part of the world, you were just some common poor thing if you didn't have a couple whiskers coming out of your hair. Wow. <laughs> All the women of the royal family really have facial hair. Wow. So I just laughed at my own, um, the thing that we hide as women mm. that the world still sees anyway. You know, that thing that you find your lack of confidence. So that one thing that makes you feel so bad. And ever since that moment, it truly inspired the book which is called Not By The Hair. You can find it on my website or on Amazon.com. Nice. Beautiful. That's that's empowerment for women. So I hope right. that after they hear this, they go check that out because that will give them a totally different perspective on, on facial hair for, for the women. Yeah. And it sounds like it's in a comical book. <laughs> so. yeah. And for girls too, because through misinformation and just not talking about things, we suffer in silence. If somebody had told me as a child, do not take a razor to your face, you will grow a full beard and be a part of the men's beard gang. You know, I just didn't have this information out there. And then women, they have these products that are painful. Mm-hmm. God, what are they doing? And so I just don't do diets because the DIE and I don't do pain. There you <laughs> so go. To turn around and take something that perceived as negative and truly make it something that young girls can take a better path and not feel so bad about how they were specifically designed by their creator. And if you're a little girl out there listening and you're going through, if someone ever teases you, you tell them, meet your maker, because the maker and the creator made you just perfectly the way you are. Yes. 
That's um, actually so funny. Now I want to get my daughter your book and have her listen to this because I have my youngest daughter for a few years now. She has had a complex because she has hair on her face and she's like mom I have a mustache and she's literally cried over it before mm. and you know things like that and I I tell her the same types of things that you are beautiful you are made exactly how you're supposed to be made don't let anybody tell you different but to hear it from somebody else you know how it is <laughs> that's awesome and I'm gonna definitely be getting her your book to help her out oh, with that as well thank you that is beautiful. So what about as far as your teaching and your, so you're currently teaching in Kuwait, correct? Can you That's tell us right. what, what age is your teaching? What, you know, your teaching as well as what that experience is like, especially, you know, how it is here in America, the images and the things we see in Kuwait, it's basically like a war zone and that's all you see. So can you give us a little bit of that experience as well? Absolutely. Well, first of all, here's a secret to the rest of the world. I typically don't tell people I live in Kuwait because of what the media has put out there. I say Dubai because I'm one hour down the street. It is so amazing. When the media tells you that there is a place that you should stay away from, it's because it's so amazing. Mm. And they don't want your tail to go there. I was about to say you're black behind, but they don't want any of you, you people, <laughs> you common working people to see the amazingness of this side of the world. Before I talk about Kuwait, there's a place called Beirut, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Recently, it was um, completely destroyed. Now, I'm so honored that I got a chance to go there because they have crystals, like crystal quartz the size of trees and wow. just such a majestic place of not extracting any of Mother Nature's resources, but keeping her intact so people can enjoy. So when you look at that side of what the media taught us, it's like, oh, never go to Lebanon. Beirut sounds so bad. When I got there, darling, I didn't want to go. It was like first <laughs> class flight treatment. Oprah Winfrey's doctor who does the tummy tucks and all that. He's from there. I saw him there. He's like big time. It's such an amazing place. So Kuwait is one of those places as well. When the war happened for Desert Storm, people were thinking, oh, this is not the place to go. Mm -hmm. But if you meet anyone who was in the military, they never left when the war was over. Oh, wow. So coming into this place, I personally, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, I'm in a house filled with 50 people from America who look like me, just regular Americans. Most of them have been in this country over 10 years. And that really gives you a sense of security to say, you know, all the elders in the community, all the old Americans retired, not leaving this country. Wow. Yeah. To see that element, it made me feel safe. And I'll be honest, as a woman of color, I am truly safer here than I am in America. I believe that. Um, as a American without any color attached to this situation, I'm still safer based on what happened with COVID. I woke up in February. It wasn't in America. I tried to warn people. But you know that human nature says, hey, we don't care if it doesn't concern us. As soon as it hit American soil and now you guys are the big, big time population there, number one on the planet, I am really happy to say that Kuwait, this country has kept us safe, issued medical for every single individual month long, just 
months after months from February, even to right now, we still have curfew, but it's all not based on a person's political views, business views, religious views, but solely based on keeping the entire society safe. As far as being a teacher in this country, it has been the biggest blessing because as an American teacher, you have to pay for those resources. Over here, when they have multiple nannies in the house, elevators in their homes, this this entire government cares about its children. That's important. And that's the reason why as a teacher, I am taken care of. Because you, when you care about your kids, you're not allowing them to go back in the classroom. God forbid you wake up one day and there's an entire class of kids that have perished because kids don't have those those things to keep their hands to themselves. You know, you put them on with a mask, they come back home with someone else's mask on. So they're taking all the precautions here. And this journey of coming into a culture that has been foreign to me, I have been treated like a queen. I didn't know what a queen treated like until I left America. When you're in Burger King, okay, we could go to the mall. First of all, there'll be more yachts in the parking lot than cars because people like to bring a yacht to the, yeah. So we'll go upstairs. We'll go to the food court. Let's say we're eating Burger King. Unless you decide to take your tray and dispose of it. Girl, put that down. You're like, no, no, I'm just throwing away my tray. I'm like, don't you see that man right there? That's Aladdin's job, girl. That man rides on that carpet over here. He's about to get him fired. It's so amazing. Wow. The bathrooms all have attendance. There's a boudet everywhere, even in public places. Okay, I know I'm going on, but I have to give one more little known fact. Because of this boudet concept, you know, the little sprayers in the bathroom? Yes. People like to think that Americans don't have proper hygiene because they only use dry tissue to wipe. Wow. (laughs) I can't imagine my life without all of these wonderful things that are supposed to be a part of like life, liberty, and the pursuit of my own happiness. Mm. Wow. So experiencing all of that there, and I'm sure you're seeing everything going on here in the U.S. this year, what's what's it like? What's the interpretation overseas of what's going on in the U.S.? And what's it like for you being an American abroad during all of this? Really need this truth, okay? Truth hurts. Hey, that's what we're here for. Yes. <laughs> I have a whole homegirl that's right here in Ghana, and she is an American. Every time she walks around, people look at her like she got the bubonic plague because everybody in this world knows that all of the disease, the number one killer superseding HIV itself is the COVID in America got Olympic gold. So The cool part, now I got to make it personalized. Since the moment I got here, I speak Arabic, you know, just shway, shway. When I get in a taxi, I never speak English. So for the life of me, for five years, people don't even know what I am. When a sister, like, Wes, he looks like he's an Islamic brother around here, you know? Just dub, dub could come here. You could be here, Les, and you would look like a sister who came over here and you'd be like, I thought you were American until you open your mouth. And now I realize you're Syrian. You're another Arab, you know? Yeah. So 
I sit back and listen, like, what are they saying about Americans? And I get all the tea. (laughs) (laughs) Before all this happened, the Americans were convinced that everybody wanted a green card and access to the country's wealth. When I left, I realized the world didn't think like that anyway. A lot of people were like, man, even in some parts of Africa is so much better than America, like opulence and wealth, that the lie, the trajectory that's out there is like this impoverished place. And so, you know, just to look and see people right now, we really feel bad for America because we know that it's in the leadership and um, there's an arrogance that comes with being an American to feel as if you have all seeing, all knowing, all power, all infinite wisdom and money that's out there. And COVID has brought us to terms with knowing that globally we are all the same. That box six foot deep, no matter how much money you have in it, we all get in that same box. That's right. Wow. So other than COVID are are there any talks or any, because I don't know what it's like over there. I know, you know how we see, and I don't play into like mainstream media, but is there all the rioting that's going on here, all the protesting, all the violence, the police brutality, is that made known over there? And what are people's reactions to that? Thank you for asking about that, Les. Yes, everything is known here all the full support of the issues that surround the police brutality is really sensitive here. I went to the grocery store one day and someone saw something I had on that would just say she's American. And they're like, why are you standing in line? Oh my God, they killed George and Brianna. You come to the front of the line. And when you get your groceries, don't stand in line, my sister. I got you. Yeah. Hmm. I was brought to tears. This is knowing that what happens in one place, I wonder if Americans are as sensitive to things that happen in other parts of the world, but the world is truly on one accord. And the U.S. Embassy and Kuwait Embassy got together and did a racial forum. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if every U.S. Embassy all over the world was actually doing this? It could have been going on all this time. So there's a lot of information. There's a great shift that's going on. I left America because of the system of white supremacy that was there with Sandra Bland, because knowing that I worked at a university, she was a young woman working at a university and was still in education, was not going to keep you alive when there was oppression. And um, when I got here, it was like the, shortly after she passed away, I I was here, I was here like 30 days. It's almost like a fast coming away from America. And I just got on my floor and started crying one day for every bit of just like, I'm like Harriet Tubman, I made it over. Wow. I just got out in a nick of time. So to see the things that happened this summer that's going on with you guys, my heart goes out to everyone. I still know one thing. People who are used to oppression thrive in the midst of trauma. So in spite of what's going on right now, it's going to just fire us up, make us diamonds, make us gold. And we're coming out of this better than we went in. Some things I wanted to kind of ask you about, because I saw that you had done some activism within uh, South Carolina before you left and with that was with the um, 
the Charleston Nine. And it sounds like you said uh, from reading, you were the only representative of the Charleston Nine. Can you can you talk on that? Absolutely. One of the essential things about knowing the law is something called the right to work state. That's what South Carolina is. And it pretty much means if you're working, we can fire you for any reason and you have no notification and no benefits. South Carolina is also anti-union ever since, you know, the war in 1869 with slavery. It's been very restrictive with not allowing union workers to come inside. So when this case came up with the Charleston Nine, there was a bunch of men who were working and my internship opportunity came up. My parents said out of everybody, no one in South Carolina applied except for you. All the other interns came out. It was almost like 1960s to go out in the neighborhood and ask people to sign a petition that would really support employees, really support um, great conditions to work in. And people were afraid. We had a march that had a thousand people there and uh, less than a hundred were from South Carolina because the residents were afraid of losing their jobs as if we were still back into a whole time lapse. And what happened with the Charleston Nine was these men went to work. You have to wear steel toe boots. As a longshoreman, you're working on the shore with these 18 wheelers that come off the dock and then, you know, end up at Walmart. Well, workers were dying because once you fall into the water because of all the weighted gear and the steel toe boots, you're just sunk. And because it was a right to work state, wow. no one's come looking for you. So what happened was as the men began to die, they began to, hey, let's protest. And that's what I was there to do with them, protesting. Yes, everybody got arrested. In Charleston, South Carolina, they brought out the paddy wagons as if it was 1860 all over again. People, celebrities, there was a woman from In the Heat of the Night, the woman who played the wife of the sheriff. She even came in to assist us because she's a South Carolina resident. So many people growing up taught me that to be a part of the movement to actually march is to be a part of the change. But I'm here to tell you the truth, Dub and Les. I don't think it's effective. It doesn't feel like it is much anymore, especially here. It's That's one thing we've been doing a lot of discussion privately about with what we're trying to do is we want to make change. and Lasting change. Yeah, lasting change where we feel like the marching and the protesting, we still participate and we get out there. But when it's over, what? What is going to happen? You know what I mean? When everybody goes home, what's the follow through? What's the follow up? And I feel like the it's become such a commonality now after especially like throughout this summer. And we're here in Minneapolis. So, yeah, yeah. So it's like every day, every other day. And it's beautiful. The, I, the unity that we're seeing is absolutely beautiful. But again, what about the follow through? We have to do more. And we are about to do more. Just to connect with you, one of my students reached out and um, said, Miss Anita, do you know what's going on in America with Black people? It's like, child, what's going on? And the child just, I allowed the child to vent. When he was finished, the child said, uh, 
they ought to do like they do in Saudi Arabia. Just off with his head on this Friday. Don't 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 waste any time. Don't waste any time. So I laughed and I felt this sense of solidarity and knowing that you're right. The same way we're looking for answers in other races, I'm here to tell you the answer is inside yourself. There is nobody in a White House or a white trailer that's really going to have that much power over my life. Whether I'm living in America or out of America, all of the rights are still there for me, but we still have that freedom to lead. We have to lead from within. Here's a challenge that I put out on my radio broadcast. In the midst of all of this, last summer I said, hey, let's get 10 of my family members to get LLCs, to get businesses. It happened. When this was going on, I started like, okay, please don't take this stimulus money and just throw it all away. LLC. And I spent, you know, the month of July helping 10 people, what took me a year to do 10, 10 people got their LLCs just in one month. And that's really what it's about. Because at the end of the day, when you're going to talk about race relations, you're going to end up with what money issues. Yes. If you're going to come and tear up a neighborhood or tear up a business at the end of the day, you're going to need jobs. One of the things that came up was, here's a list of all of the racist corporations that we're no longer going to serve on the Clean Sunny Honey Show. I started reaching out to those um, companies and saying, hey, sponsorship, looking like a proper time. While other people were being reactive, I was busy being proactive. Because here's the question. If you are so against a company who is racist, but your sister works for them because she works for Wendy. Are you telling her to quit her job? Hmm? Right. Mm. Right. When you say we're not going to buy the food from Subway because they're racist, but then you already know that little chocolate brother that went to school with you bought a whole franchise in your community. So we have to become proactive when we come up with all of these decisions. We have to sit at the table with each other because at the end of the day, less, I'm still a woman first. So there's still going to be that connection. Dumb, they still see the black in me first. So there's still that connection. And when we all come together, no matter where we are in our walks of life and our economic journey, it is important to have the discussions. The real challenging question to you guys is, especially because you're a parent, when is racism, when are our kids exposed to racism in K through 12? Immediately. Yep. My children, uh, yeah, my children have gone through it since kindergarten, first grade. Yeah. Absolutely. So the exposure is there and what we have to do, well, you're doing the work already is you're teaching the youth and you're in an area where they care about the youth. So we have to get to that state here on the U.S. soil where we care enough about the children and we can start to make the difference there. Everyone else, people are going to change, but there are a lot of people that are just stuck in who they are. So if we can invoke change within our beautiful children that we have, that is where we will see the difference. One a huge difference here, as you know, from growing up here is like what you're talking about, the resources and everything they provide for, you know, your classroom and things like that. We're still we're still struggling, even with covid. I, I just saw something the other day where two little girls 
had to walk to Taco Bell with their little tablets. They were lucky enough to at least have a school that provided a tablet for them for the, you know, everything's distance learning and everything right now here. And, but they don't, they don't have the resources. They don't have Wi-Fi. So how are they going to do anything? So they literally, two babies, elementary school age, had to, were sitting there in the Taco Bell parking lot on the curb doing their schoolwork on their little tablets provided by the, yeah. Wi-Fi from the store. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how the big, huge difference here is still the lack of resources for education and for our children in the schools. It's the disparities between inner city schools and suburban schools and the materials and supplies. Um, we just talked to a friend of ours last night. She's in Washington. Yes. And the small town she lives in is a very wealthy town, I guess. So all of the students are provided not only with like the standard tablets you get to kind of rent from the school, but all of their school supplies are provided. Mm-hmm. Everything to pencils, everything. And here in Minneapolis, we're doing school drives to get kids basic needs. You know what I mean? For pencils, notebooks, markers, what have you. And then we have these little towns that can provide the kids with everything they need. Like we have to bridge that gap in those disparities and we have to allocate our resources better to education for sure. And that I'm all starts through. Because, excuse me, I'm sorry. No, you go right ahead. No, you go ahead. Politics has people thinking that it's the person that's at the top that's responsible for it. But to actually listen to you, Les, we know it's really local leaders holding those representatives accountable, knowing who you put in the smallest position. You know, Donald really doesn't know about what goes on in the county. But that local representative is responsible. It is not fair to live in a place where you are a taxpayer and see that there is a big gap between everyone. I got another solution for you. Call them, boys. Call Bill Gates and tell him that Queen Sunny Honey said for all of the bank buyouts, this is an excellent time for corporations to give the free Wi-Fi as another write-off incentive on your taxes anyway. This is the time that you're, hey, we're watching each other's back. We're keeping each other together as an entire country. We're putting this brand out there that says USA, make America better, greater, and that is the solution. It is not going to, it's a safety issue when you have a child sitting outside getting free Wi-Fi when we haven't even found the killers for Breonna Taylor and we have pedophiles that are rampant in the streets. Now you have required so a child cannot fail that they're sitting out here in the open exposed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Duh, take me somewhere else. You don't want this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for that. Be- and I actually wrote that down because um, with our goals foundation that we have, where a lot of what we're trying to do is stuff for the community. And I will be writing letters and emails to people such as Bill Gates and imploring them to, or Elon Musk or whomever, and imploring them to provide the free Wi-Fi. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've also, um, you've done grassroots campaigns before. So um, how did you get involved in that and how did you make it successful? Because that's the most important key. Absolutely. I got 
got started with the AFL-CIO. And this is pretty much the umbrella for all of American jobs. I've always been a person that's been about fair wages. And this has actually been grassroots, has been that turning point for a person to come out and actually get the community involved. What it takes to make it successful is not really working by yourself, but establishing an alliance with the community. Find your major churches. And the one thing I did would be the advocate who would walk in with the politician. The politician would say, hey, introduce me to the Baptist preachers, because after they finish their thing, they know that all of those churches are going to vote in favor. Grassroots recipe is the very same thing. You're taking that political template and you're using it to activate the cause. When there is an issue that's pressing on the people, get out there, knock on doors, get to the elder that has the voice so that everyone else can listen to them. Once you take the notes, actually listen to the elder because half the time, somebody's grandmother suckled off the breast of the person who might be oppressing you and you might be able to take a different path to get a lot of your solutions. Well, working in the state of South Carolina and doing my grassroots there, one of the most oppressive things were always seeing images of people that were swinging off trees and that they would have all these photo opportunities. These images were still standing around statues still resurrected everywhere. And here you would be as a grassroots organizer standing in the doorway around these images, begging someone to please help me. Another factor is people are always looking for grant funding. I'm a phenomenal grant writer, but I'm here to tell people, if you have something that you want to improve upon this life, that is going to be in opposition of a monopoly, that's going to be in opposition to something that big businesses would find to just make everyone heal in a better place. Don't look for a grant. No one is going to pay for you to overcome oppression. That's one of the hardest lessons to learn as a grassroots organizer. But last but not least, say it loud, shout it, use social media as a form for correct facts. Do a lot of fact checking first. Because one of the worst things as a grassroots organizer is to have someone come in, share something that's not factual information, and you're going to lose a lot of the people who are going to support you. Social media can be a great tool for grassroots organizers, as well as a tool for our detriment. So that's my advice. That's That's wonderful. Yeah, I love it. I'm trying to think because now, just with our little conversation so far, I have so much I want to talk with you about. But will you talk with us a bit about kind of your your journey into learning more um, as far as spirituality and manifestation and things like that? Um, what's what? How did that come about for you? And kind of, I know. You touched on manifestation a tiny bit, but how has it like overall affected your life? All right. Well, I have a unique journey because my parents were 50 when I was born. My mother began to suffer from something called dementia on Alzheimer's when I was five years old. Oh, wow. Wow. So what was normal for me growing up was really not anyone else's normal. And that um, when you're dealing with Alzheimer's, I use this in aligning with manifestation. 
if you've ever been around a person with Alzheimer's to have that connection, you have to disassociate yourself, go to an imaginary place and just not get upset that it's not winter and we're not going here. And that's where it all began. How I dealt with coping with my mom, how I dealt with coping with my weight, how I dealt with coping with hair, with being black, with being fat. And so everything that was taken, I would manifest it to the best part. Um, There was an old lady that I was helping once and she told me she slept with Sam Cooke and she was giving me some advice. She said, baby, don't ever give it away. You got to manifest it. I said, what are we giving away? She said, the it, don't give it away. Did you have to wash it? I was like, yes, ma'am. She was like, water costs money. Did you have to put something nice on it? That good soap, those favorite underwears. So all of that was all about manifesting and it took effort. It takes stuff, it takes something. So in the midst of my life, I've had instances where people were like, oh, it's not going to happen. And that's when I began to manifest. I've lost mm-hmm. friends. One of the worst things in my life was being homeless. Yeah. Right after a toxic relationship that you escape. And then I begin to say crazy things like, I'm going to work at this university. Girl, you're using that free Wi-Fi at McDonald's. You're homeless. I will. I got this job in telecommunications. And when I walked in on the first day, I was like, oh, I'm just here temporary. They're going to hire me at the university. This guy was seeing me at the time. And I remember looking him in his eyes and I could read his brain. He was like, this bitch crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, you lost hope. We could not be together anymore. It was in that moment that my phone call happened. Yes. Mm -hmm. I got it. And to this day, I'm probably the world's greatest ex-girlfriend because he tells his wife, I miss her so much. She manifests everything. (laughs) This was for all the people who sat back and see you in a situation in your temporary state. This is when you're talking to from your higher self to your lower self, Mm -hmm. in spite of everything when it looks super crazy with this weight issue that you're suffering with. You got to look in the mirror and say, you know. I'm fine to somebody. (laughs) If it's any issue that you're suffering with money to manifest, you know, is you hear celebrities talk about writing the check. Yes. You hear me talk about saying the Dubai Bible. You hear a teacher say that you have to say something 40 times and through repetition, Mm -hmm. it becomes a learned behavior. Yes. That's the key to manifestation. Repetition, Mm -hmm. baby. That's right. I love it. Preaching. I love it. <laughs> Can I want to just touch on your passion a little bit because I, I think you have passion for a lot of things, <laughs> but uh, it, it sounds like your one of your main focuses or the things that you focus on most is uh, teaching literacy to Kuwaitis. And how did that become such a passion and, and wanting to help empower you know their global legacy? Thank you for asking that. What compels me to work with children in general is it's really a spiritual journey for me, actually. First day of school, I look at these kids, I don't care if I'm in America or in Kuwait. Well, let's just say Kuwait. And I actually tell them, I said, you know, how many fingers and toes you got? And like, 10. And I was like, 
you know you're a gift to me from whoever you serve. And I expect that you leave and come with 10 fingers and 10 toes. And on the first day, it means nothing. But then a couple weeks later, when they're playing in the hallway, and I'm like, Mohammed, stop. And then the two boys, they stop. And then both of them are named Mohammed, by the way. They stop and they look at each other and they're like, she's talking about me. I am her, her chosen one. She's making sure that I am safe. I could yell out, don't touch my child. And every child will feel like, she's talking about me. No, she's talking about me. <laughs> That's the first part of teaching. So when it came down to it, when parents would come for a parent-teacher conference, right before they leave out, I asked the child, because now months have gone by since we met. And in front of that parent, I go, you know, Dub, yes, miss. First day we met. I said that you were a gift to me from who? Allah, miss. You should see the look in the parent's eyes when the child says Allah, when the child says God, because the parent knows then it's not just the information in English class, but it's a level of character development and respect that I demand. Now, don't get it twisted, Miss Sunny, honey. When I teach the little ones, I will tell them. I can turn into a dragon. And that one little bully in class, no, you cannot. Dragons are not real. And I'm like, is the sun hot or cold? Hot. And I'm like, I promise you, if you ever disrespected me or any of my children in my classroom, this mouth of mine will open. Fire will come out. You shall cry. and You will know that I was a dragon. <gasps> okay, miss. <laughs> <laughs> so... By the time we get past those barriers and then you teach the English language and then you understand that this child knows more than one language and then you confirm that this child will grow up and impact the world and then you realize that you are just one person along this journey that's made an impact in their lives. Man, I have been so blessed. Yeah. Earlier this week in class, I offered two classes the chance to leave early. Both classes were like, no, miss. I'm like, who, oh boy, who does that? I said, you can leave early. And they're like, no, miss, you're cool. I love, <laughs> love, love, love that. Because having that social work element, that teacher element, that parent support that you know good and well, Les, if your daughter ever said something to me that's going to be a part of something that's very detrimental. I have a way of communicating that with you. That child is really talking. So with the kids that I have this year and teaching English, my kids are producing books. My kids are reading my books. My kids are begging me, Miss, if I get an A this semester, can you put my name on a page? That's why I do what I do. I love it. That is amazing. That is so awesome. I love it. <laughs> yes, and we're huge on, um, you know, the fact that the, our youth are our future. And the more that we can enlighten them and um, provide for them and be whatever it is, you know, every child's different in what they are going to need from you. But being that for them and the way they're going to blossom, and I believe they are going to be the real change in this world. So that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love it. Yeah, when you give a child a sense of security and love, they blossom. And it sounds like you are doing an amazing job of that. So I commend you very much for that. So 
The other thing is you come from what sounds like a strong line of women and you are big on women's empowerment and you have joined or you're a part of the Afro-Asian Economic Council in Kuwait and also the Kuwait's Women's Empowerment Group uh, and you're their financial liaison. So what has that journey been for you and what are you doing to help empower women there? Thank you for asking that. That journey has been amazing. That journey led to me being on television here in Kuwait. That journey has led to me doing women's empowerment for the Cancer Foundation through the Eastern Stars. That opportunity means when I step into a room with these women, they are all well off. They are all living their best lives just like I am with like minds coming together. And what that looks like is on the Queen Sunny Honey Show on Freedom Fridays, I love to give away LLC grants, being a philanthropist, financing people's dreams to start a business, financing children's dreams to start a business. I'm pleased to announce that it's because of the women's empowerment groups that a lot of the people who work for my companies are people I help to start their own businesses. It's amazing to feel like, wow, I'm working with my students who used to be my students. Now you're my colleagues. I have 10 family members plus that have businesses brand new in the past year. I have college students that I help to get their LLCs and their interning for me. All of this is under the umbrella of women's empowerment because we all came from a woman. And at the end of the day, I know that a lot of times women like to hang out with the boys, don't really like to hang out with other women saying that they're catty. But when your heart is broken, honey, you come to the sisterhood. When you're down and out, you find mama, you find your sister. So I find such a healing and all the wisdom that you hear me bring to you is only because of the women. Wow. That's beautiful. I love that. I love it. And we, you're so right. And it's, it's so funny that you said women don't want to hang out with women because I, so the women that I do get close to, typically we have these conversations about how we don't like to hang out with women. We grew up where our friends were all guys because women, I feel like the problem in our society is women compete too much with one another. Or get, you know what I mean? It's they end up, like you said, um, we claim that they're catty or what have you. And it's like, no, if one of my favorite things I see all the time is instead of like putting a woman down, if her crown is crooked, straighten it. And help oh, lift her. Come on, yes. girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I absolutely love that. And that's something that needs to be spoken into existence more. Absolutely. What I found to be the most ironic thing was to be on television in the Middle East on women's empowerment. I thought you said these women were like oppressed over here. Let me tell you, up underneath all that black hijab, some red bottoms, a freaking stock. And to sit on the platform and have these people ask me questions about being a teacher, being a a woman in this country. And just it was so liberating that the woman who did the interview, we just pretty much forgot where we were. It did not matter. And it wasn't a thing of oppression over here. The real truth is 
only the nannies and the fathers take care of the kids. Once a mama give birth, she don't even touch the baby no more. So that's not oppression, sister. That's liberation. <laughs> That's and when you right. see the women with like the thing is like, oh, you got three wives, and they're like, oh, you're so oppressed as a woman. It's like all three of those got on red bottoms and three Birkins. They look happy because they all have a lunch right there while you're complaining, and your one man might not have the resources. <laughs> wow, that is such an interesting twist. It sure and, is, and uh, you know, it's you get the inside scoop, so you see where it, you know how they feel or what's going on. So it's great to have that exposure. And have that uh, brought to light. So thank you. Yeah, I think this is going to be um, huge for our listeners over here to hear the, as you said, the truth of it. Because especially in this country and the views and things like that that people have, it's always the they always want to go to the negative. So to hear you talking of that liberation and that empowerment and the truth of you know these women over there that. I think that's going to be huge for people to hear about. Yeah. Meanwhile, some brother in America is cheating on a lot of women and doing it illegally, cannot afford the one. And over here, these men are like, don't send me no more wives. (laughs) (laughs) The first day that we got out of lockdown, the Rolex store had 50 people in line. Louis Vuitton was around the corner and don't get me started on Gucci. And all of these men were just like, oh my, I have to buy <laughs> after all these months. <laughs> I was only at one house. Now I have to buy for two houses. I love oh, it. Gosh. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is amazing. Well, That's... we thank you so much for joining us on Goals Podcast today. I have to do my question. And we have an important question before we go, because we always have to ask, and I'm so happy she reminded me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I always ask when we wrap everything up, I would like to know out of this whole experience with us in this interview, what if people take away one thing, what would you want that to be? Absolutely. All right, guys out there, the word of the day is limitless. Say it with me. Limitless. 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 (laughs) This means there are limitless opportunities, limitless blessings. And I just want to send so many, so much love out there to wherever you are in your situation. Know that there are no restrictions. There are limitless opportunities that await you. There is Dove and there is Less right here with limitless moments to bring us together to make us laugh. Celebrate what remains and just remember you got limitless blessings in your life. Thank you. Beautiful. That was amazing. I love it. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. If people want to reach you, they want to buy your books, they want to reach out. How can they get a hold of Miss Queen Honey Sunny? Sunny Honey. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My website is SunitaShannon.com. That's S-U-N-E-E-T-A dot com. I have a store there. You can also find me on social media. Look me up on Instagram at Queen Sunny Honey. Go to Google Queen Sunny Honey. Go to Pinterest. Queen Sunny Honey. And yes, every Freedom Friday, you can find me at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the Caribbean radio show, we are the knowledge station. I'm always bringing the people interviews that they can use. Simple solutions for everyday problems. Thank you for having me. 
So Beautiful. happy you were here. Thank, Thank you so you much for sp so spreading much. your sunshine with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our show for today. We had an absolute blast with our interview of Miss Queen Sunny Honey. If you would like to get a hold of her or buy any of her books, we will have her links to her social media as well as her website in the details. Please check that out and be sure to buy a book from her or go ahead and listen to her on CRS Radio every Friday at 10 o'clock Eastern. Also, if you like the show, please make sure that you hit that subscribe button. It's free. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. We're out here on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find us at Goals Podcast. That's at Goals Podcast without the vowels. At Goals PDCST. At Goals PDCST. Until next time, when we have PJ Hill on our show, an activist, a financial advisor, and an ex-pro athlete. He's going to give you great information, great tools, as well as tell you about all the things that he's doing in his community. Join us next week for that one. Peace.